Five by Fifteen Vancouver features five stellar speakers speaking for fifteen minutes each on a topic they're passionate about. Each fifteen-minute episode is a glimpse into a world. Five by Fifteen Vancouver was presented by SFU Library, supported by SFU Publishing, and created in association with Five by Fifteen, a global speaker series. Special thanks to our founding partner, Simon Fraser University, major partners, Langara College and University of British Columbia. Media partners, the Georgia Strait, CBC and Spice Radio, and our funders, Government of Canada, City of Vancouver, Vancouver Foundation, and British Columbia Arts Council. Welcome to 5 by 15 Vancouver. Kamal Kalyani Pandya is a comedian and writer who is proudly mediocre. Though he catapulted to fame in a short-lived role as a secret love child of the Cosby show's Claire Huxtable and family ties Elise Keaton, it was his scandalous departure from The Bachelorette after an unfortunate Pani Puri incident which returned him to the spotlight. Listen to his talk, Sometimes Why, How the British Stole My Gender. Beverly, 
We all know that she's not an anomaly, right? Before a bathroom bedroom tells me where I can go, I'm interrogated constantly about where I'm from. Not that the answer makes any real difference. Look at this, this is so pathetic. Look at that, do you see that? That's me, this is what a, a, an adult teacher did to me. They put me in this costume when I was in grade four because you're from India, right? It's perfect, it's perfect. And then me, well like, the outfit's cool, but I'm not like that kind of like what you guys call Indian, but like, um, I know, I know, honey, I know that, dear, but, but you are, you know, Indian, right? Well, sort of, um, and then begins my painful history lesson to the white teacher about British colonialism. <laughs> From me, that little dopey kid. I didn't have you back then, Pico. I didn't have you back then. <laughs> Let's talk about those lovely British. More than just Marks and Spencer and Hagrid, they are spectacular criminals. Moving into someone else's home, abducting, torturing, abusing their children, stealing entire land masses, decimating people and ecosystems, and then turning around and labeling us depraved, immoral, dangerous regulating our bodies and demanding that we show documents when we leave our place. Bloody hell, I wish that we had asked for documents when they showed up in India. And here to them is my little theme song. Mera juta made in China, ye patloon made in Sri Lanka. Sar pe jhul in the crown, tadan chori. English There she is. Elizabeth, the thieving queen. You see that thing in her head there? You see that? That is the Kohinoor diamond. That's our diamond. We want it back. Indiano Hero Pachuapido. Elizabeth. Intergenerational white colonial sociopath <laughs> sitting with India's diamond in her disgusting dopey, and all I got from my intergenerational colonial trauma was Coronation Street. <laughs> Pico, I tell you, you really did save me. With your ferocious and elegant interrogation of the idea of a static hometown, God, I wish I had that when Miss Simandas put me in that play. Naturally, one of the worst things you could be called in my mother's house was Toria Jeva, Toria Jeva, Toria, like a white person. Now one day it came to pass that Papa found me digging for buried treasure in someone else's yard. Which I mean, this is the whitest thing you could do on the entire planet. <laughs> so I heard this, Hey, Ram, Toria Jeva, Toria Jeva, Toria Jeva, 
bridge and he, he took me out of school and we went to India for 16 weeks where he took me from stem to he wanted me to see everything, he wanted me to learn everything. He wanted to undo the damage that had been caused to make his kid behave in this fashion. Now, what I remember the most is Kajurao. The Mandirs in Kajurao. I remember them for a couple of reasons, but for one thing, Papa ordered fresh squeezed orange juice every morning in the middle of that desert, and my mommy warned him it was going to be cost prohibitive. And when the bill came, this is so true, he goes, Mabriba! And my mother goes, which means, holy crap, look at this bill. <laughs> and then my mom, what do you think we are, Florida? I think there's a McCain Canada factory here. <laughs> so in between arguments over the cost and availability of orange juice, my prepubescent self saw delicate, exquisite, masterful artwork that simultaneously ignited my passion, imagination, and set my loins on fire. <laughs> Yeah, I was a little kid. Magnificent bodies, rich in female signifiers, male signifiers, every combination thereof, entwined in luxurious, erotic expressions, creations, the forces of life on sacred spiritual structures, structures of worship. And there was Ardhineshwara a beautiful being with one full round breast, supple flat muscular chest, erect penis, full soft round curvy hips. I had never seen a being like this before. I stared absolutely agog. Who was this being? What were these artists saying? Mummy astutely saw that a spell was being cast on her pubescent child and she quickly intervened. Don't get so excited, they're just doing yoga. Quickly, she said, Chalo, so rupiana, tikoda tikoda glass. Orange juice PM at that time. Let's go all have you know hundred dollar glasses of orange juice. Now, I knew a thing or two about yoga, okay, even at eleven years old, because like all of us back then, I was dutifully sent to the Hindu Society of Manitoba's summer camp, where Professor Venkatraman was charged with our spiritual development. Nirvana, it turns out, is much more than a white Seattle grunge band. <laughs> Listen, I'll be completely honest with you here. For me, Nirvana was watching the Bengali girl I planned to marry, Rini, do her Nadeja Govadam. My gods, that was all the enlightenment I ever needed. Professor Venka Traman, although lacking in Lululemon outfits, very, very vigorous in his instruction, had never shown me yoga poses like I saw in Kajurao. At that time, I was attending a Catholic school. 
I had never seen or imagined the testicles of Jesus. <laughs> but at Cajuno, I suddenly thought, why wouldn't Catholics boast about the genitals of their God? The son of a God? He's got to be huge! The balls of Christ compel you! Mummy protested, or how many tiny expensive glasses of orange juice I drank. Those images were now carved into the temple of my 11 year old, pretty horny brain. Those images grabbed me, they stayed with me in a way that only one other image ever has. Look at that. That beautiful being. In fact, it was the same Professor Venkat Raman who told me the very Jordan Peele-esque tale of Garnapati's origins. Briefly, and asking Professor Venkat Raman's forgiveness, the story goes, it came to pass that Parvati fashioned a child out of dirt. Now, as Professor Venkat Raman told it, it could have been her own body dirt as well as the earth, okay, like from the earth. And she tasked this child with guarding her privacy as she took her bath. And as it came to pass, Shiva returned home after an absence and was met by what he felt was an insolent child of suspicious origins, denying him entry into his own lover's bath. This child insisted he was Bhagavati's own son, therefore Lord Shiva's son. And as any good Gujarati parent might do, he consulted the Psychology Today manual and beheaded the boy. <laughs> Only to discover that the boy was telling the truth. Parvati was devastated and she shrieked in anguish and in rage. Lord Shiva, deeply penitent, restored their son with the head of a passing elephant. The horror of that tale for me was not the beheading of the boy, nor the destruction of the unfortunate elephant, as gross and therefore kind of cool as that part was for me. But it chilled me that a parent wouldn't recognize their own child. Even if this wasn't my baby, if Professor Venkat Raman had explained, surely Bhagavati had inadvertently imbued some genetic self-attraction into her sculpture. That feeling of being unrecognizable to a parent was with me that day in Kajurao. I knew. I had always known. I knew what I was looking at that day. In that sculpture, in those erotic expressions, and in Ardhineshwara. I was in that artwork. It was the first time I'd seen what I'd known about myself from the very, very, very beginning. It was powerful and it was terrifying. Because one day it came to pass that Mummy discovered that I was doing the yoga of Kajurao with a girl I loved. Mummy wasn't terribly impressed that I had attained nirvana. <laughs> she shrieked like Bhagavati in anguish and in rage. She told me I was a curse for her past life sins. She told me I was an unnatural monster. She told me that I was the product of the diseased West. 
and no amount of my pleading, of my insisting that I am her child, I am of her own body, I am of this earth, helped me. She wouldn't recognize me. And as it came to pass, I was beheaded. I left my mother's house and I've never been back. You know, two years ago at this very festival, Kamala Shamji explained in her talk, Shakespeare in India, that for the British, the success of their colonial agenda was measured in part by the proliferation, pro-lifer nations of their mother tongue, English. As a byproduct of British success, Mummy, Papa, and I became refugees, leaving everything we loved and everyone we knew behind. That's Mummy, you know, she's scowling over there by the car. Papa is represented by the topi on top of the car. And that person holding the small baby is my beloved Shilafoy, and she's holding me. And she's, she's, so, she's so precious. <sighs> It wasn't long before Gujarati became as much a memory for me as my home in Kampala. Here, before the beheading which would eventually follow, was another amputation. My tongue, my mother tongue. I call it mother tongue not to gender it, but because it is the language I spoke with my mother. I love Gujarati. It sounds exactly like what it's describing. Vomit, ulti. That's perfect. A slap, tapa. Perfection. Mercifully, Tara Ben Sampat taught Gujarati school for the Gujarati Cultural Society of Manitoba. Every Saturday I was enrolled, staring at the Gujarati girl, Shilpa, whom I planned to marry. I repeated, ga, ka, ga, ga, da, 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 ta. I had to concentrate. It was serious. There was no daydreaming about Shilpa in that class. Talabin Sampa would catch you. But every weekday, staring at the Ukrainian girl, Christina, who am I planned to marry? I repeated, A-E-I-O-U, and sometimes why? It was so damn easy. I let my mind wander, the thoughts of Christina, her pool parties, the weird foods her family ate, oysters, her strange last name. Barwinski. And people thought Bondia was alien? <laughs> Saturday after Saturday, one day it came to pass. Tara Ben Sampat, like Shiva before her, performed a great feat of strength. She restored my mother tongue. For me, conjuring the future is about bringing forth my pasts. Waking from a deeply sinister spell which posits my great losses as someone else's great gains. A communal nightmare which we are all still having. The kind of trickery which has absolutely convinced people, maybe even Professor Venkatraman, that home is one fixed place 
which you are never allowed to leave unless, of course, you are white, and that gender is two fixed points, which you are never allowed to navigate in between, upside down, sideways and around, as well as you bloody down well please. The greatest fraud ever perpetrated has been the theft of self-definition, that sacred sovereignty, the right to create ourselves, make ourselves, and make ourselves at homes. This festival has been such a home for me, even though Sirish never puts me up in a fancy hotel. <laughs> is a place where nobody asks me where I'm from or tells me where I can go. It's where I am, always. Sometimes, why? And I thank you.